morning. Can you hear me? I was told to get as close to this mic as I can without touching it with my tongue. I might be It's good to have you here. I was just talking to Joe Torres. And he says he feels like he's living here at church these days. He was here Tuesday night for class, Wednesday night for church last night, and then this morning. And he's supposed to be back tonight for class, but I don't know that he's coming. <laughs> he might stay home just for the rest. The only thing that he doesn't know is I was here for all those occasions too. And even when I'm home, guess what? I'm studying. <laughs> so... At least he gets a break and gets out on the golf course. Do you have any prayer requests this morning that you would like to share before we pray? We've got one. Oh, there's some. Uh, Bobby Stone is having rotator cuff uh, surgery in the morning, and Bobby's 86, you know. And so just pray for um, God's uh, grace and uh, that he, you know, Bobby Stone. Bobby Stone. All right. Okay. Was there another? Yes, Lynn. I mean, Bonnie. Um, Rachel has a job interview with Spirit Airlines Monday morning, okay. 7 a.m. Now, see, that shows that Rachel's a little different age than most of us here. <laughs> <laughs> because she's still working. Yeah. Yeah. Job interview. And tell me again when it was. Portland uh, Spirit Airlines. Okay. And it's Rachel. 7 a.m. Rachel. Okay. All right. Yes. I have a friend in North Carolina. Okay. All right. Let's pray before I forget these. I have a prayer report. Okay. Father God, Almighty, you take control. All right. Okay. All right. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning and the opportunity to open your word and to look at the subject of heaven. I don't know about most of the folks here, but each day for me, particularly as I study your word and look at this, I long for the day with the Apostle Paul to be with you. To be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. What a day that will be. And even there, in the intermediate heaven, we'll still be waiting. Be waiting for the trumpet to sound. Be waiting for Jesus Christ to return. To triumph over all of His enemies. To glorify the saints and inaugurate the new heaven and the new earth where we will be with Him for the rest of eternity. Everything that we enjoy about this world. As we drove up this morning, just commenting on the blue skies and the beauty of the earth you've created. And we'll be on the new earth with you without the curse. It'll be like the Garden of Eden. And maybe even more. We long for that day. Father, we pray for some that have been <laughs> excuse me, mentioned this morning. For Bobby, who's having <coughs> surgery. <clears throat> we ask, Father, that you be with him and bring healing and comfort and grace. Pray for Murray, who's just had a stroke, that you would bring healing to this gentleman. For Rachel, Father, as she has a job interview, we ask that you would go with her and that your perfect will might be accomplished and she would trust you during this time. And Father, we just praise you as Mama B has mentioned. We give our we, we look up to you. We we honor you. We want to glorify and magnify your name. So we commit our class to you this morning. I pray for strength. I pray for the moving of your spirit in my life, in my heart, right now, as I get ready to preach and teach. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. What happens when I teach is I usually preach, so forgive me.
Let me go back and review just one of the things we ended with last week. We were talking about, do you remember we mentioned Florence Chadwick, who was the first woman ever to swim the English Channel? And back in the 50s, she tried to swim from California to Catalina Island, or I don't know which way she was heading on that one, but one, one direction. She got within a half mile, remember, of the shore. It was very foggy. She couldn't even see the boats around her. Her mother kept shouting, you're getting close, don't give up. And she was shouting to her mother, take me out of this. Get me out of here. And they finally did, one half mile before she finished the race. She'd been swimming for 15 hours. 15 hours of swimming, and she gave up just before the end. She couldn't see the shore. And that's what she said later. If I could only have seen the shore, I would have finished the race. We've got to keep our eyes on the shore, folks. We've got to remember that it's far better than anything in this life. Far, far better. If for no other reason, because we're with Him, we'll be with Jesus Christ. And that's the thing we need to remember. I said at the end last week, and I want to just highlight this again. Why is having such a clear and sure vision and hope of heaven so important for the believer? Here's some reasons again. Because we will be encouraged in the midst of our trials in this life. Is there anybody in this room that has no trials? Raise your hand because I'd like to meet with you afterwards and find out how you're living and what you're doing. Some of you have told me you know, you've been without a job. Some of you have told me you're, you're suffering with all kinds of physical things. Sometimes it's trials with other people that you love even. All kinds of trials. What's going to get you through is the knowledge that one day those trials are going to end. And that we are going to be in His presence. And having joy, eternal joy forever and ever with Him. So we want to be encouraged in the midst of trials in this life and, and able to overcome them for the glory that lies ahead. For the glory that lies ahead. And it will be so glorious. Number two, because we are encouraged in Scripture to seek the things above, which is where we will spend eternity with our Lord. We spend so much time, I think, worrying about the things here. Don't we? So much time. And yet we ought to be focused on the things there. Seek the things above. Number three, because everything true believers should desire and treasure will be there. Everything we, notice I said, should desire will be there. You know, the problem with, with this life is we live in a fleshly body, which the Scriptures refers to as our flesh. Galatians 5 says there's a battle between our flesh and the spirit, between the inner man and the outer man, Daily. Have you recognized that in your life? There are desires of the flesh, Paul says, that are wrong. And you have to wrestle every day with what, what are those desires that I have? Are they fleshly? Or are they from the Spirit of God? Because there's a struggle going on. But one day, one day, we will have everything that our spirit desires. We've got to overcome the flesh now by the spirit. That's what Paul says in Galatians. Fight the flesh. Fight it daily. Buffet your body. Run a straight race. Run it to the end of the race. And don't give up. Because we, number four, because where our treasure is, there will our heart be also. If your treasure isn't ultimately with Him in heaven, nothing's going to work out right here. Your heart won't be in the right place if all you're looking for is your happiness in this life. Number five, because we cannot seek after or desire what we do not comprehend. You've got to know what the Word of God says about heaven. Number six, because we will be able to help other believers focus on the world to come as well and thus help bring them to glory along with us. We're not only running a race, but we if we see those who are straggling along the raceway, 
We need to grab their hand. I still remember a story, a true story about a young gal who was watching her dad run a marathon. She, had, she was going to run with him, but something had happened. She'd gotten sick and she wasn't prepared. So she was watching him get near this 26 mile race towards the end and she saw him starting to struggle. And she was on the curve, she had loafers on. You know what she did? She ran out on the road in her loafers, grabbed his hand, and finished the race with him. So when you have your eyes on heaven, you can bring others that are struggling along with you. Because we will prove ourselves to be genuine citizens of the kingdom of God, though still living in this world when we're focused on heaven. Remember what C.S. Lewis said? People have said, those people are so heavenly minded, they're of no earthly good. And C.S. Lewis said, you can't be of any earthly good if you're not heavenly minded. You can't. You need to focus on the things that matter and the place that matters. And then finally, because we will have much, a much more realistic view of things in this life and how to assess them in light of eternity if we focus on heaven, won't we? Because the things in this life which seem so important to us in the final analysis, they're not very much, not much at all. Let me read to you now as we get into our topic today. I wanted to review that because we ended so quickly last week. But let me, let me um, remind you the topic today as we approach the subject now of heaven. Last week it was looking at the grand hope of heaven. Why this is so grand and why it ought to be preeminent in our thinking. Not only when you're our ages, but even when you're looking for an interview with an airline. Always our desire should be on heaven. So this today's topic is the nature of the present heaven and its occupants. Interestingly enough, you know, we will say things like, Grandma has gone to heaven and one day we will be there with her. And a lot of times in our thinking, we're thinking that where Grandma is, is where we will be and she will be for all eternity. That's not right not what Scripture teaches. The heaven that we go to now, we could better refer to as the intermediate heaven. The intermediate heaven. And we'll look at a verse in, in Revelation 6 which bears that out. Randy Alcorn's book on heaven, which I recommend to you, and he gives such a great view of what heaven may be like from the Scripture. Some of it is speculative, but a lot of it is building upon what the Word of God says. Let me read to you a portion of his book, pages 42 and 43, on the intermediate heaven, and you'll get the idea, I think, with what he's saying. Usually when we refer to heaven, we mean the place that Christian go, Christians go when they die. This is what I am calling the present or intermediate heaven. When we tell our children, Grandma's now in heaven, we're referring to the present heaven. By definition, an intermediate state or location is temporary. It's temporary. Life in heaven, in the heaven we go to when we die, where we'll dwell prior to our bodily resurrection, is better by far than living here on earth, under the curse, away from the direct presence of God. Still, the intermediate or present heaven is not our final destination. Though it will be a wonderful place, the present heaven is not the place we are made for. The place God promises to refashion for us to live forever. God's children are, are destined for life as resurrected beings on a resurrected earth. We must not lose sight of our true destination. If we do, we'll be confused and disoriented in our thinking about where and in what form we will spend eternity. So where we go when we die is not the final place prepared for us for eternity. He asks this question, will we live in heaven forever? The answer to the question is, um, depends on what heaven we're talking about. Is it the intermediate or is it the ultimate? Will we be with the Lord forever? Absolutely. Will we always be with Him in exactly the same place that heaven is now? No. 
in the present heaven, we'll be in, the, in Christ's presence and we'll be joyful and we'll be looking forward to our bodily resurrection and our permanent relocation. There's going to be another move even after the one from here to there. Another move. It bears repeating because it is so commonly misunderstood. When we die, believers in Christ will not go to the heaven where we'll live forever. Instead, we'll go to the intermediate heaven where we'll await the time of Christ's return to the earth, wait the trumpet sound, our bodily resurrection, the final judgment, the creation of the new heavens and new earth. It will fail to grasp, if we fail to grasp this truth, we will fail to understand the biblical doctrine of heaven. It may seem strange to say that heaven that we will go to at death is an eternal, yet it's true. Christians often talk about living with God in heaven forever, writes theologian Wayne Grudem. But in fact, the biblical teaching is richer than that. It tells us that there will be new heavens and a new earth, an entirely renewed creation, and we will live with God there. There will also be a new kind of unification of heaven and earth. There will be a joining of heaven and earth in this new creation. Now he suggests an analogy, and I want to, to uh, share part of this with you. He says, suppose you lived in a homeless shelter in Miami. Suppose you lived in, in a place like that. One day you get word that you have inherited a beautiful house, fully furnished, on a gorgeous hillside overlooking Santa Barbara, California. Now I would say, Randy, I would write that illustration a little different. Not that that isn't a beautiful place, but I wouldn't want to live in California. Um, with the home comes a wonderful job of doing something you've always wanted to do. Not only that, but you'll also be near close family members who moved from Miami many years ago. On your flight to Santa Barbara, you'll change planes in Dallas. And because of the time schedule, you'll spend all afternoon there in Dallas. Some other family members whom you haven't seen in years will meet you at the Dallas airport and board the plane with you to Santa Barbara. You look forward to seeing them. Now when the Miami ticket agent asks you, where are you headed? Would you say Dallas? No, you would say Santa Barbara because that's your final destination. If you mention Dallas at all, you would only say, I'm going to Santa Barbara by way of Dallas. Get it? That's where we're going. We're going with, to be with Him. To be absent from the body is to be with Christ. He is seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And that's where we're going, but that's a temporary stop. When you talk to your friends in Miami about where you're going to live, you won't focus on Dallas. You might not even mention Dallas, even though you will be in a Dallas dweller for a few hours. Even if you spent a week in Dallas, it wouldn't be your final focus. Dallas is just a stop along the way. Your true destination, your new permanent home, is Santa Barbara. Similarly, the heaven we will go to when we die, the present heaven, is a temporary dwelling place. Stop along the way to our final destination. Then he says this at the end, and I think this is really neat to capsulize everything. He says, in another, another analogy is more precise, but possibly more difficult to imagine. Because for most of us, it's outside of our experience. Imagine leaving the homeless shelter in Miami and flying to the intermediate location, Dallas, and then getting on a plane and turning around and flying back to Miami. But it isn't the Miami that you left. It's a glorious Miami. It's a Miami that's been changed, where the curse has been removed. And Miami, that you used to enjoy as home, is far, far better than anything you could ever imagine. You would no longer live in the homeless shelter, be in a beautiful house in a glorious, pollution-free, crime-free, sin-free city. So you would end up living not in a different home, but in a radically improved version of what you left. 
That's a better analogy. We're going there to one day come back here. But it won't be the here that we left. Even as beautiful as it is out there today, blue skies and a few little clouds around, and green trees and green grass, all those colors that God has put together, even though it is beautiful out there, when we come back, and we're going to talk about it in a, in a couple of weeks. Next week we'll talk about the resurrection. And then we're going to spend two weeks on the new heavens and new earth which are so, so important and valuable. That's where we will be. And when we come back, it will be back here. Remember what Romans 8 says? The whole creation groans. As if, a, like with a woman giving birth to a child, waiting for the day that, for the trumpet to sound, when the curse will be removed. And we will be here on this earth, glorified, far greater than even Eden or paradise as we know it. Well, I thought that's a good illustration to get into this. What we're talking about today is where we go when we die. We're talking about the intermediate heaven. It involves, first of all, number one Roman numeral, <clears throat> conscious existence with the Lord. Um, do you remember Acts 1? 9 to 11, let me read it to you. And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. Who is that? Jesus. And as they were gazing intently into the sky, while he was departing, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. And they also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched Him go into heaven. Where is heaven? It's a specific place. It's where the throne of God is. It's where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. We do see Him standing in one passage, however. Do you remember where that is? When do we see him standing by the throne? When Stephen dies in Acts chapter 7. Stephen is given a vision of Christ standing to welcome him into his heavenly intermediate home. Jesus is in heaven now. But that's not the place of the final kingdom. The final kingdom will be on the new earth when heaven comes down and earth is glorified such as we have never seen anything like it, even in this life. Jesus is there. We can look at other passages, <clears throat> like I'll turn over, <clears throat> excuse me, just a couple of pages to um, chapter 3 of Acts and verse 19. Listen to this. Repent therefore and return that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And that He may send Jesus, the Christ appointed for you, whom heaven must receive until the period or the times of the restoration of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets from ancient times. You know who spoke about that in ancient times? Isaiah in Isaiah 65, verse 17 and following, wrote about the new heavens and new earth that were coming one day. And Jesus is there and at the restoration of all things, when all things are restored, He will return. And He will return forever. And forever. And forever. All the, the saints, both Old Testament and New Testament saints, that have died and two that didn't die, Remember who they were? Enoch, Elijah. All the Old Testament saints that have died are now there already. I think you could make a case that originally they went to paradise and that eventually when Christ ascended out of Ephesians chapter 4, He took them with Him. So paradise is transport, transported to heaven where Jesus is 
with all of the saints that have died, all of the saints that are now dying or will die prior to His coming will be in the intermediate heaven. That's where we're heading. So it involves there a conscious existence with the Lord. Uh, letter A, absent from this earthly body, but immediately present with the Lord. Where do we get that? We get it out of the book of Corinthians. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Look there with me. Let's just read a few verses out of there. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I'll read to you verses 1 to 8. Paul says, For we know that if this, if the earthly tent, which is our house, ever think of your body as a tent? A little house to live in? Sometimes you want to do some uh, improvements on it? You know, a little, little bit of uh, refurbishing? But it's a tent, Paul says. It's a house. But it's not made with, um, excuse me, is torn down. If this tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house, not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed, in this house, we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. Inasmuch as we, having put it on, shall not be found naked. For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed in order that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. And I wrote down there, 1 Corinthians 15 talks about that. Now we who are prepared, now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave to us the Spirit as a pledge. Where does the Spirit live now? In a temple building? He lives in us. Our body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. And we collectively as believers, we are a temple. We're a temple. In the new heavens and new earth, Revelation 21 says there will be no temple there because God the Father and God the Son are the temple. They're the temple. But let's keep reading here. Verse 6, Therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home <coughs> with the Lord. You know, one of the things I think that, that keeps us from sometimes living that way is because there's things that are enjoyable in this life. And we like to hold on to those so. And it's not wrong. It's not wrong to enjoy the things that God has given us that are good. But we don't want to hold on to them too tightly. We want to keep longing and wait for that day to be absent from this body. Which Paul said, it is far better to be with Him. No one there in the intermediate heaven, I'm telling you this with certainty, is putting in a request to come back to this life the way it is. This world with all of the good things is under the curse. There is sin. There is temptation. There is death. There are trials and tribulations. And by the way, even in the millennial rank, uh, period, the thousand year millennium, by the way, not all reformed guys there are some Reformed guys who think that thousand-year millennium is for the Jews. Some Reformed guys think, no, it's for the church. They would be historic pre-mill instead of dispensational pre-mill. There's a third group who are amillennial who aren't sure there's going to be a millennium. But if there is a millennium, if there is a millennium, let me tell you what's different about the millennium than here and now. Two major things. Christ would be here bodily. Satan would be tied up for a while till the end of it. Everything else would be the same. 
Because the millennium is not the kingdom that Jesus came to preach in Matthew chapter 4. He came preaching the kingdom. For the class the other night, we did a little bit of a word study on the kingdom that is to come. There's one kingdom. And it's a spiritual kingdom. And yet, it will be enacted ultimately upon this earth, the new earth. And it's an eternal kingdom. We have already entered the now part of that if we know Christ. He's ruling up there. But He's not ruling in the final place. He's ruling there and He's coming again. And we're part of that kingdom because we have been transported spiritually into it by new birth and by connection with Christ through repentance and faith. We're part of the kingdom. But the kingdom is not... It's been inaugurated, but it hasn't been fully consummated yet. So even if you think the millennium... If, you, if, if you're pondering that and you're thinking, what's it like? No different than here. There's still sin. There's still death. There's still the Gospel being preached. There's still children being born in sin. The curse is still here upon the earth. It's the new heavens and new earth that we look forward to. And those that have gone to heaven, they're waiting for the day for Christ to return and inaugurate the new heavens and new earth. That's the thing that's on their mind. That's what they're looking forward to. So, absent from this earthly body, but immediately present with the Lord. Letter B, meaning, meaningful occupation and community. Look over at Revelation chapter 6. Revelation chapter 6. And here we read this, these words in verses 9 and following of Revelation chapter 6. 9 through 11, we, we see some of the saints who are pictured in heaven. And it says, And when he broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who have been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. So here's, here's a group of folks in heaven been slain because of the word of God under the altar, whatever that means. I don't well, I get a, a really weird picture when I think about that. I'm just not going to think that way. Uh, and they cried out with a loud voice. They're, they're crying out together in unison. How long, O Lord, holy and true, wilt thou refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Now, they're in heaven. The earth is still going on like it is now. And they're saying, how long, Lord, until you go back and you enact your judgment and you bring all of us together to where our final place will be, in other words. And verse 11, there was given to each of them a white robe. They were told that they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed, even as they had been should be completed also. Now, by the way, since this was written, it's been almost 2,000 years. They're still waiting. I don't know that they're going to be waiting all that much longer. The way this world looks. I would think it's going to be sooner rather than later. But notice, too, they're not only concerned about the Lord coming back and enacting judgment on all the wickedness that goes on. They're concerned too about those that are still here that are going to experience what they experienced and die. And some by tragic death. Listen, turn over to another passage in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. And here in 2 Thessalonians, it starts out with a very similar um, lead-in. They're asking... In Revelation, Lord, how long before you go back and you deal with this? How long will you let this go on? Look at verse 5. This is a plain, this is chapter 1, 2 Thessalonians, verse 5. This is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is going to be fully consummated one day. For which indeed you are suffering. 
For after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. I remember one time, every time I read a verse like this, I think of two young men that came to see me when I was a chaplain in a Air Guard Reserve Unit in Topeka, Kansas. And they wanted out of the unit because they were conscientious objectors. And they had to go, to get out for that, they had to visit with the chaplain. So I had to meet with both of them. And they explained to me that they could not be part of our unit. And I said, well, our unit is just air refueling. It really isn't combat. What's, what's your problem? Well, but we refuel planes that are going to be in combat. So we can't be a part of that. I said, really? You can't do that either? No, we can't do that. I said, could you be a policeman? Mm-hmm. No, couldn't be a policeman. I said, what if you walked into your house one night and your wife was there being attacked? Could you come and rescue her and manhandle the attackers? And they said, no. I said, does your wife know this? Because I think she ought to. I think she ought to, because she might want to start packing. If that's the way you really feel. You know what they said to me? Um, We're followers of Jesus Christ, and he would never harm anyone. I said, have you read have you read this verse in 2 Thessalonians? He is coming from heaven or Revelation 19 riding the white horse and he is going to annihilate the wicked Jesus. That Jesus. How come you can't protect your wife from harm? Oh, what a perverted view. That's a little bit off subject. But anyway, let's let's read on. Um, He's coming with angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God, to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. You get that? Dealing out what? Retribution. But what for us? Well, let let me get verse 9 first. And these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power when He comes to be glorified in His saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed for our testimony to you was believed. Boy, that day is coming. And this is what this is what the folks in the intermediate heaven are crying out about. Lord, when is that day coming? How soon will it happen? How long, O oh Lord? But notice they were told they're not only concerned about Him enacting judgment against the wicked. They're concerned about believers still here on earth. And they're also told to do what? Rest. Rest until that time. They're resting there in heaven. That will be a beautiful place too. But it's a stopover. Awaiting the trumpet to sound and to come back to this earth and see it as we've never seen it before. There are some who don't think there are going to be any sun and moon on that new heaven and new earth. I hope to explode that if that's what you think when we get to the new heavens and new earth. There are passages in the Old Testament that talk about the sun and the moon going on forever. It isn't going to be dissimilar from now. It'll be very similar, but it will be far, so far more beautiful that you won't even be able. It will be like looking at a black and white picture compared to the most beautiful color photograph you could ever imagine. Uh-huh. Yes. Religion to your body sends out photos of sunrises and sunsets, and they're absolutely <coughs> gorgeous. I cannot imagine anything more beautiful than a sunrise and a sunset than the pictures that she sends out. But it's supposed to be so colorful and beautiful. I'm glad she sends those out. And they are beautiful. But yeah. I, think, I think that's where we have to just listen to what Scripture says. The glory is going to be so far above. Because this planet is under the curse. The whole creation groans. And one day that curse is going to be lifted. And, and here's the other thing that will make it far more glorious. 
He's here. He's here with us. And will never leave. We can walk, we can walk up to him and have a conversation. Stand in line. <laughs> Maybe there'll be numbers. <laughs> I don't know. Okay, let's move on. Um, so there will be meaningful occupation and community, continuous anticipation of complete redemption, rest from the trials and tribulations of this life. Rest from the trials. No more trials. No more heartache and pain and grief and sadness. We will see things from a totally different perspective there and on through to the new heavens and new earth. Um, Roman numeral two, it involves life without temptation. In, the, in this intermediate place, there is no more temptation. There is no more sin. No more death. No more suffering. No more pain. And no more evil. <coughs> no more evil. Can you imagine that there are people on this planet today who don't even believe that there is evil abounding? I, I can't imagine how they would ever come up with that. Everyone's good. Really? What's the Bible say? There are none good. No, not one. None seek after God. Not one. None understand God. Not one, unless He first breathes life and brings us to Himself. That's how, that's how we get rightly related to Him. It's because of His mercy and His grace. In uh, 1 Corinthians 15.50, it says, Flesh and blood cannot inherit heaven. Our fleshly body remains behind. We'll talk in a minute about what form we live in in this intermediate heaven and uh, look at some things on that. But look at Roman numeral 3. It is a far better place than this present world or even a millennial reign of Christ. Far better. The intermediate heaven is far better than this world or even a millennial reign because a millennial reign is still on this earth under the curse with physical people marrying, burying, being born, being brought to Christ. All of those things would be happening. Number four, it is not our final dwelling place and is less glorious than our eternal home. And I would say this in trying to explain that to you. It's less glorious in the sense that It's not the familiar home that we have enjoyed here. When He created Adam and Eve, He put them here in paradise, the Garden of Eden, to live forever. As I understand Genesis, if there, if there were no sin, if Adam and Eve had not sinned against God, they would have lived perpetually in this place and enjoyed it forever. And that's what we have been made for. We've been made as human beings. We're both body and spirit. In one person, we've been made to dwell on this place, in this universe. <clears throat> the other day I picked up, an picked up an article to read on the internet and it said some scientists is sure that we have in our solar system a piece of space junk from another planet floating around, from aliens. And I went, really? And then I read the article a little bit and it says, well, he thinks that might be the case. Are there other planets with life, with people created in the image of God? Not according to the Word of God. I think one of the things that atheists do is look with all their might and heart to prove God wrong and find life out there so they can say, we're not the only ones in this universe. We're, we're not the only ones He's created. Isn't it amazing with all the technology we have? I, I saw a little picture of that robot thing on Mars and it said it finally died after 15 years. <laughs> you see that? Boy, Mars is a pretty barren 
place. I wouldn't want to live there. He's created, as far as we know from Scripture, one planet with one people that he intended from the beginning to be his and live life in his fellowship and enjoy this, and it's going to be restored. Or Satan has won a victory. If Satan ruined God's plan, he has won a victory. And I'm telling you what, he's a defeated enemy already. He's just awaiting the final carrying out of his sentence. That's all he's waiting for. Colossians chapter 2 says, when he died on the cross, he nailed up there the edict that did away with all of his enemies. They're done. His will will be carried out though. This intermediate heaven will be glorious because the Father and Son are there, but it will be unfamiliar. It's not what, we're, what we were made for. It's not what we're used to. But one day, that of the trumpet sound will be restored as well. Now look at number five. Oh, we got plenty of time, don't we, Joe? <laughs> okay. Number five, the biblical references have overtones of a some kind of physical existence in the intermediate heaven. Let me give you what some of those are. I don't think that they necessarily absolutely prove it. It could be there that we're in a form similar to angels, spirit beings, but li listen to what some have found. Number one, white robes given to wear. They think that gives the overtone of these folks that are pictured in, in uh, Revelation 6 having some kind of body, but not, not yet the glorified body for this life, for this earth. Number two, told that they should rest for a while. Rest for a while. If they have, don't have a body, that, that seems strange to some, to be told that they're going to, to rest. By the way, my wife reminded me that when we came here um, in middle December and, and to be here through middle March, that we came to rest. <laughs> and all of a sudden, in my two classes, and this group, she's looking at me going, when are you going to rest? I said, when we get back to Colorado. <laughs> Here's number three. The Mount of Transfiguration. Who appeared there from the intermediate heaven? Moses and Elijah seem to be in bodily, some kind of bodily form there. Christ in heaven in His glorified body. We see Him going up in Acts chapter 1. Stephen's experience in Acts chapter 7. He sees Christ standing at the right hand of the Father. Elijah and Enoch, their translation doesn't speak anything about their death or leaving their bodies behind. They're just taken up. So some would say that may be an indication. The rich man and Lazarus. Lazarus in Hades is in what? Pain. Discomfort. Which would also possibly picture a some kind of an intermediate body for the intermediate realm. Can't be dogmatic on that. But we know that to be absent from this body is to be present with Him. Let her be the relationship uh, that... It has to paradise. I think the relation to paradise is, as I mentioned before, paradise was probably the holding place where Hades is still the holding place of the wicked. Paradise is where the Old Testament saints went until Christ took them with Him to heaven after He paid the price and ascended. He took them. So paradise, it seems now, is in heaven. And in Revelation 2.7... Turn there with me for a moment. By the way, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the word used for paradise to describe it there in the Old Testament in the Greek translation, the Septuagint, refers to paradise as the Garden of Eden. Interesting. It refers to it as the Garden of Eden. But look at uh, Revelation chapter 2 and verse 7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says 
to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Now, we know that this same paradise, by the way, this tree of life, which is in the paradise, which ties it in with the Garden of Eden, appears again in Revelation 22. When Jesus and the Father come to this earth to set up permanent dwelling places, Revelation 22, 1 through 5, say the tree of life will be here. There won't be any problem with eating from the tree of life any longer. Remember what our Lord said back in Genesis, they eat of the tree of life, they're going to live forever in this state, in their sin. We're going to be able to eat of the tree of life and we will live forever with Him. So it seems like paradise was removed, kept in a separate spot, then taken to heaven and will return again here to the new earth after the curse has been removed. And, and the third thing here is let her see the relationship that it has to earth. Earth could be a shadow, a shadow of heaven. Why do we get that? Because of verses that appear in the book of Hebrews in chapter 8 and chapter 9 where it talks about, you know, there is a heavenly temple which is the real one and the earthly temple was a shadow. The earthly temple was a shadow. It's interesting. Heaven right now, the intermediate heaven is part of this universe it's part of God's creation, but it's on a different plane. It's a different dimension. And yet that dimension is going to come back to this dimension in the final analysis and what God created for us to live on with Him forever is this earth glorified, changed with a curse removed. And the Father will be here too, Revelation 22 says. Not just the Son, but the Father as well. Okay, number six. Its occupants seem to continue to have knowledge of events on this earth. We saw that in Revelation chapter 6. We can see it also in Luke chapter 9, verses 30 and 31. Turn there with me to Luke. Luke chapter 9, 30 and 31. Say, and Jesus asked him... Nope, I'm in the wrong passage. Chapter, what did I just say? Nine. Nine. 30 and 31. There we go. <clears throat> and behold, two men were talking with him, and they were Moses and Elijah, who appearing in glory were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Did Moses and Elijah have some knowledge about what was happening here? Yes, they did. They certainly did. So we have reason to believe that there's continuing knowledge. Some have even said, and by the way, this almost sounds a little Roman Catholic, and I don't mean it to, but you know that Roman Catholics are saying, pray to the saints, rongo, pongo. We don't pray to saints. But you know, some have suggested that the saints who are there with knowledge of what's going on here may be praying for us. <coughs> And that's possible. That is possible. And the people there can be happy even knowing what some of their loved ones are still going through down here. They can be happy because they have a new perspective on everything. And they know that what's going on here is ultimately, even when we're in hard times, are for our good. God disciplines us for our good. He disciplines those He loves, as Scott said last night. So they can rejoice that we're being changed and transformed and going through some hard times to make us more like Him. What were the good news that Paul got when he was first born again? What did he hear? You're going to suffer a lot. Paul. Tell him of the things that he is going to suffer. Here's one other thing. Some have asked the question, <coughs> have the ones in the present intermediate heaven had to go through a time of standing before a throne of judgment? 
My answer to that is no, that doesn't come till Revelation 20, which just precedes. It's when the Lord comes back, judges the wicked, destroys the earth, then restores it, has the judgment, casts the wicked into the lake of fire, and those who are His will be glorified and be with Him on this restored earth forever. So has there been a judgment already? Not in the sense of Revelation 20. That's still coming. That's still future. When all of creation must stand before Him. And those whose names are not written in the book of life are cast into the lake of fire with Satan and with the Antichrist and the false prophet and all that followed Him. But here's the issue. A judgment has already been made. When Jesus came preaching the kingdom and how to enter the kingdom, people entered it during Jesus' time on earth. People have entered it since. We're members of that kingdom. We've been given new life. We've been forgiven. We were those who were identified in the Sermon on the Mount as the poor in spirit. We recognized our poverty because He opened our eyes to see it. And we turned to Christ and we entered His kingdom already. A judgment has been made because we, by the grace of God, had our eyes open and our ears open and we saw and we heard and we repented of our sin and put our faith in Him because of what He did in our hearts and lives. All to His glory and honor. So a judgment has been made. In that sense, yes. Um, I had the exact same question a couple weeks ago after what, walking with the Lord 35 years or something. I finally got an answer, and it was, you know, when you die, you go to the presence of the Lord, and I couldn't figure out how you couldn't go through judgment first. Mm -hmm. And then I realized if we're per, we're already known, and He created us before time existed, and right. he, he chosen us. Yeah, you'd yeah. be with the Lord. He already right. knew us. He already knew us, and we have already entered His eternal kingdom. It just comes to bear in certain phases. We're part of it now. We're part of it in the intermediate heaven. And the intermediate heaven one day, that's why 1 Thessalonians 4 says when He comes back, He will bring a whole host of those with Him. And those of us who are His will be caught up together with them and will be changed and will be glorified will be outfitted for the new heavens and the new earth. So that's where we go when we die. But it's like having a ticket to Santa Barbara, if anybody wants to go there, and stopping in Dallas for a while. How long, O oh Lord, till the trumpet sounds? Isn't it interesting, though, that even the saints in heaven today know not at their final destination. They know what's going on down here to some extent or another. And they are waiting and they are longing for the day to return with Him forever. Yes, I saw a hand back there somewhere. I just have a question. The significance then of the millennial uh, presence of the Lord in the Okay, there, <clears throat> I mentioned there are two different camps on that. One is called dispensational premill, and they believe that that thousand years is to honor promises made to the nation of Israel. So it's a Jewish kingdom. The historic premill, like Wayne Grudem, for instance, we use his theology book at our seminary in Colorado. He's what they were to refer to as historic premill. They say that the thousand years is for the church. Now, Again, when you ask people from either camp, let's take the dispensational camp first, why do you think there's a thousand years? They would say fulfillment to Israel. The historic pre-mill, when you ask him or them, what's your reason for the thousand years? Since nothing really changes, it's not the new heavens and new earth. Their answer is basically, though I guess there's probably some more, but they basically say, so we can learn that even with Christ here, how bad we can still be. I just go, really? I thought we learned that the first time he came. 
But uh, anyway, those are, those are the rationales, those are the reasons. And then there's all kinds of debate, probably with both groups. Uh, nobody would debate that, that the kingdom is, the millennial period, is primarily for people in physical bodies, you know, that are still dying, still sinning. Because at the end of the millennium, what happens? Whole masses of people come against Christ who's been here, right in front of them. So we know that there's still sin. We know that there's still death. We know it's not the, the final place where the forever place where sin is removed. When you get to Revelation 21, when the new heavens and new earth are mentioned again out of Isaiah 65, you find in, in Revelation chapter 1, I mean uh, 21, that the new heavens and new earths began after Revelation 20, and there is no more sin. No more death, no more tears. That's when we get into that period of the forevers. So the question is from the two groups, why do you believe in a millennium? What is its purpose? And there are different aspects, different groups of people, Jews. And then the other thing that, and it all depends on who you're talking to within the two groups, is how they view because they would believe already in a resurrection prior to the beginning of the millennium? The question is, will those people up in the intermediate heaven be able to keep coming back and forth in there? Number one, I would say they, they don't have glorified bodies, whatever they have in the, in the intermediate heaven. And there's nothing that really tells us that they're able to come down and share life here. So there, there's a lot of different questions about how all that works, what's its purpose, I am one who's come to the conviction of in my own study that there aren't three resurrections or two resurrections. There's only one day of resurrection when we get glorified bodies. And I believe that from my study of Scripture. That I'm, I'm strong on that. I told someone recently, I said, if I ever write a book on everything I know about, the, about all the future things, it'll pro probably be fairly short. And it's going to have about five things in it in terms that I know absolutely for certain. And things like we're going to be glorified and, and we're going to be with Him for eternity. In the, inter in the interim, we're going to be in the intermediate heaven. In the, in the interim, there's going to be death here until He returns and then death will end and sin will end. I know, I know a number of things but there's a lot of things that I'm still studying and that are very, I'm kind of like where Florence Chadwick is in swimming to California or vice versa to Catalina. Some of those things are a little foggy and maybe the Lord left them that way. And the sad thing is some Christians take the foggy things and make it, they make it the things we have to have fellowship on. And it almost takes away the freedom to study the Word, which I frankly... That just bothers me when people do that. So you've had my testimony. <laughs> okay, anybody else? Any thoughts? Any questions? Yes? Does the Lord's Prayer reserve, uh, refer to that? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, that will be done. Yeah, and, and you know the other thing that he says there? That I was praying this the other night, trying to go to sleep and just praying through the Lord's Prayer and its elements. Sometimes I'll do Psalm 23, and sometimes I'll do the Lord's Prayer, and sometimes I'll do them both. But I love that when he says, Thy kingdom come. We ought to be, that's what part of our daily prayer could be, because that's a, we're not to just pray that as a little magical formula. We're to pray the parts of that prayer, praying for his kingdom to come back to this earth. And it fully doesn't come back in a millennial period. If, if there is Okay. Anybody else? Oh, yes. Is the word is the word in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth and the heaven in the New Testament is in the Greek or in the Aramaic is it the same word because in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. I don't think of that like we talk about the heavens outside mm -hmm. as we might be able to transpose that word for sky or right. outer space. 
You know, I, I would have to get my Hebrew and Greek out right now to look at what you're talking about. Because I always, like you, I want to identify what was that word? Is that the same word we use over here? And so I do a lot of word studies trying to sort those things out. I don't have an answer because I don't have my Greek and Hebrew on that. It's a good question. Okay, anybody else? Great refreshments today, whoever brought them. I even noticed you had health food back there. Fruit. But I'm sorry, I went for the other. <laughs> okay, let's close in prayer. Father, thank you again for your word and for the time together. Keep our eyes upon you. Keep our eyes upon the life to come. The day that when we are translated from here into your presence when we die or when Christ returns, we'll be glorified and with you forever. Help us to keep our eyes on that realm and that day, and especially the new heavens and new earth, which in a couple of weeks we'll be digging into. Thank you now for this time together. For each one, in Jesus' name, amen.